This is the My Weight What to Know podcast, where we talk to medical experts about the latest research on weight management and how you can apply it to reaching your best weight. We have a very special show for you tonight featuring dietitian Danielle Aldis, and she's going to be talking about what people need to know about losing weight and keeping it off. Danielle, thanks so much for joining us tonight. Hi, Ainsley. Thanks for having me back. It's, uh, I've been looking forward to it. I'd like to start out by talking about the fact that for many people, diet and exercise alone is not enough to help them reach a healthier weight. So we're going to be talking a lot about healthy eating tonight, but tell us before we get started with all that, why is there more to weight management than just eating less and moving more for many people? Because uh, weight management is a chronic health condition, a chronic medical condition that um, is quite complex and has a multitude of factors that influence its outcomes. And diet and exercise, although uh, two important factors that we have some degree of control over, are just uh, two of many. We estimate probably over 300 different factors that influence our weight, many of them genetic. And yet what we can do is we can focus on the things that we can control which include diet and exercise. Danielle, we know that healthy eating is a critical part of weight management and more importantly, good health overall. There are so many different diets and eating approaches out there though. What do you consider to be the kind of the key components of a healthy diet? We are encouraging people to be focused on what I often call real food, less processed food, uh, foods that they're preparing at home with uh, simple ingredients, uh, definitely the use of some culinary ingredients like, you know, a little sugar, a little fat, a little salt. But when you're cooking that at home um, to make tasty, healthy dishes, um, it's far less than what uh, food manufacturers might be using to, you know, create ultra processed dishes. So very much we're getting people to think about getting kind of back to basics, inc definitely including their fruits and vegetables, focusing a little bit more on whole grains and lean protein choices, healthy fat choices, um, but kind of keeping it simple and keeping it real and, and making sure that their foods that um, they have a little bit more uh, influence on right in their own kitchen. So we know that almost every eating approach has success stories, but one thing that has become clear over the last couple of years is how ultra-processed foods can cause weight gain. What guidance do you give to the people you work with about ultra-processed foods? When we look at uh, foods of that nature, they're very, very stimulating to our appetite, um, and, and they sometimes get difficult to control our intake around. Plus, they're all, often very nutrient-poor. So when we're working with people to help improve their diet, we're very much looking to uh, try to bring back in some foods that are uh, unprocessed or minimally processed, um, still respecting that desire to have something that's quick and convenient. Um, but aiming for something that's quick and convenient doesn't mean we have to go to ultra processed. There are lots of very nutritious uh, food items that we can build simple meals around that uh, still give us those key nutrients that we're looking for, quality carbs, fiber content, um, healthy fats, and satiating proteins with just a little bit of those things that make foods tasty and delicious and not so much that we're overstimulated, but rather satisfied. So speaking of ultra-processed foods, we know many people struggle with specific tempting foods or trigger foods. How do you encourage people to manage them? Should we give in to cravings or avoid them? What should we do? We very much work with people to find that workable balance, right? To understand that there is a difference between hunger and 
appetite or needing times when we need to fuel versus times when we're experiencing cravings. And um, at our clinic, we, we try to break it down into kind of four different types of hunger that you might experience. We talk about stomach hunger, that true need for fuel, and, the, and we help people to acknowledge and recognize the signals their body's giving them when they are in need of fuel. Um, and then we also can experience mouth hunger, you know, just that desire for a certain taste and texture. We can experience what we call head hunger, which is kind of that learned behavior or these associations that we have with food. And that might be around, uh, you know, if we're feeling lonely, let's say, like maybe certain foods remind us of certain people and we're, look, we're craving that ability to kind of connect. Um, and we, we might actually, you know, get the feeling through the food in that sense of connection or heart hunger, which is kind of like that as well. You know, that's that last example is really leading into kind of heart hunger. And, and uh, we talk about helping people to kind of pause and notice what kind of hunger that they're having so that they can um, make a more conscious decision, a more mindful decision about how to respond. So it's really about working on understanding our body's cues, uh, being a little bit more mindful and putting ourselves back in control to respond to our urges or our hunger uh, in an appropriate way. As you were speaking, I was thinking about, you know, when we talk about mindful eating, I usually think about, you know, being paying a lot of attention while I'm eating. But what I hear you saying is, you know, really the time to start being mindful is when we start thinking about food. Like, you know, as you said, am I experiencing stomach hunger? Am I really hungry right now? Or is it more kind of a habit hunger, you know, mind hunger, like, oh, I'm about to watch a TV show and I usually have a snack. So I really like this idea of kind of like asking ourselves, like, what am I really experiencing and trying to be more mindful that way? I usually encourage my patients to think about an acronym that will pause their action so that they have that ability to uh, be in the moment. Because when you're in the moment, you have the ability to choose your next action. Do I want my next action to be um, sort of the habit that I'm used to having that, 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 you know, cascades to a place where I'm not comfortable to go? Or do I want my next action to be perhaps a little bit more restraint, redirecting my behavior in a different direction, changing my location, shifting gears to a different physical or mental activity so that I can kind of rewrite that story. So some acronyms that we will use would be wait. Uh, what am I thinking? What am I telling myself? in this moment in a curious way or stop uh, is another one where um, it's about slowing down, taking notice, opening up to what I am experiencing. It's okay to feel the emotions that I feel and then pursuing something that uh, is in line with my values. So you referred earlier to two interesting words. You said in some cases we can be overstimulated by foods and really what we're trying to be is satisfied with what we eat. How do you encourage people to kind of identify what am I experiencing and, and move towards that satisfaction rather than being very stimulated? It's tough because this is one of the areas where um, the very nature of obesity changes our hunger and fullness signals. And so again, here's where I think people are probably looking to slow down in the moment of eating and really notice, um, you know, the taste of food, the texture of food, 
Um, am I enjoying this food? Am I, you know, is the experience of eating this food um, pleasurable? Is it tasty or is it just, you know, sometimes people will begin to notice that foods that used to be very stimulating to them, things that they would eat and feel out of control eating, when they stop and slow down, they can really begin to notice that, you know, okay, maybe the first bite or two I enjoyed, but after that, I'm not really enjoying it anymore. So can I find that point where, um, you know, I'm able to stop or maybe even choose a food that I do that is much more satisfying to me that as I'm eating it, I'm enjoying this food and, and just getting that pleasure out of it and not feeling that it leads to more and more and more. Danielle, we know a lot of people identify as emotional eaters. What do you recommend for people who tell you that they struggle with that? Well, first of all, we help to normalize it because that is one of the things that is common with obesity. So in terms of the genetic, um, the genetic interplay of obesity and the fact that a large portion of the genes that uh, confer obesity are in our brain. And so we do know that many people who have this disease do experience more of that um, emotional connection with food and, you know, sort of their emotional waves tend to be a little higher and stronger. Um, and it's, it's one of the important components that we have to work on in terms of, um, behavior change when it comes to, to, um, working on our diet and, and how we are managing, uh, cause it's, you're, you're eating and your diet is not just what and how much you eat. Um, but it is also sort of how and why we eat and, and how we work on sort of some of those restraint behaviors, uh, at times too. So, Dietitians are very much uh, practitioners of what we call medical nutrition therapy, which is not just about providing um, education about foods, uh, but also about counseling to change behaviors around uh, what and how much you eat. So another question for you, do you notice that um, people who've been on highly restrictive diets are more likely to engage in kind of uncontrolled eating or binging? Have you noticed a connection there? For all of us, uh, certainly binge eating is kind of another um, medical condition within the, this realm, right? And so when we look at people, we're always working to assess, is there um, a binge eating disorder along with their uh, obesity condition here too? And we might use some slightly different tools and strategies that are specific to binge eating uh, in that case. But definitely when we restrict, for most people, you know, when you say, no, you can't have any, you know, almost immediately this little inner rebel creeps up and says, what do you mean? I can't have any, I want it. <laughs> and so I very much think that when we are talking about healthy eating, we are understanding that, um, you know, in many cases, all foods can fit. And yet for some people, there are foods that are just very, very difficult for them to exercise some restraint around. And so it, you know, if those foods, often those foods are not particularly nutrient dense foods either, very interestingly. <laughs> so if that is the case, we work to set you up for success by trying to limit those really um, difficult foods to, to be in control around um, and make sure that we're planning uh, your eating pattern with lots of foods at the ready that you can, um, you know, eat in a way that you feel you have control. So Danielle, you, you've really laid out this very nice framework for us of, you know, really trying to be mindful about when we're hungry, what we're hungry for. 
How do you encourage people to implement kind of the 80-20 approach in their lives? Like, how do we figure out what's the right balance of like very healthy, nutritious foods and kind of the occasional treat or, or tempting thing that we're giving into a craving for? 80-20 is an understanding that um, we don't have to be so rigid, right? That it's okay to have some of our favorite foods, even if those don't wear a health halo, right? You know, that it's okay to have those things from time to time. And that each one of us has got to kind of figure out how often is enough for me, right? Like how often can I include this and still feel that I've had that little bit of an indulgence, that pleasure of that food. And yet I'm generally moving towards um, the goals and outcomes that I'm, I'm uh, seeking. You know, that I'm generally staying on track with, uh, with my health goals. Is losing weight quickly a bad thing? Do you find that helping someone kind of like jumpstart weight loss with a more structured program initially is helpful? It can be. It can be very helpful. Um, again, you know, we're working with human psychology here and, and we, we like those quick wins. We, we want to kind of be encouraged. We want to be able to boost our confidence. Science generally tells us that whether we lose weight quickly or, or gradually and slowly, it doesn't really matter for our long-term outcomes as long as we're losing it, um, you know, in a way that is, is healthy and nutritious. So um, quick starting with a, a more intensive medical program can be very important for people. It can help them to break a, a, a cycle that they're caught in. Um, I, we often think of the situation where a person has been using perhaps more intensive insulin therapy for helping with their blood sugars and, and their weight has tracked up over time. So they get caught in this cycle of um, higher weight requiring more insulin, more insulin increasing weight. And so using a more intensive um, therapy to help break that cycle, allow for less insulin use, allow for them to get more active, allow for them to get out of that cycle of sort of the low blood sugars and, and treating can really be an important way to help put them back on a, a healthier weight management and diabetes management um, path. So for those folks that you're kind of describing, is that a situation where utilizing meal replacement programs might be something that, that would be helpful? I think so. And certainly we've got good evidence to say that. There's a number of large-scale trials um, that have looked specifically at the situation of, of uh, weight and diabetes that have used uh, meal replacements. And from those, we can learn things about using meal replacements in the context of, of weight management alone, even without diabetes. Um, so we know that part of what makes staying on track with healthy choices challenging is that we make a lot of decisions in the run of the day, a lot of food decisions, a lot of non-food decisions. And that part of our brain that's all about planning and executing and restraining is really kind of like a battery and it does drain over time. And when it drains, we are left with uh, our automatic uh, part of our brain that is always kind of switched on for what can we eat? Let's go eat. Where's the food? <laughs> so by using a meal replacement, it helps us to reduce the number of food decisions that we have to make in the run of a day and allows us to really focus on quality decisions for that, um, you know, more limited amount of meal planning that we have to do. So for the people you've seen be successful in your clinic, are there specific consistent habits or approaches you've seen that really helps them? Yes. So I would say unequivocally, the biggest predictor of success is engaging in care, showing up, 
showing up, coming, coming when you're having a success, coming when, especially coming when you are struggling. And um, that's probably one of the biggest messages that we try to get across at our clinic is that we are not here to judge you. Yeah, and very often we'll say to our clients, you probably have spent more time judging yourself very harshly before you come and say, I need some help. Um, and the shorter you can make that time, you know, before you say, I'm human, uh, I've made a mistake and I need some help or I need some more knowledge or I need a new tool. Uh, and you come and say, can I have some help? The better. Uh, so, you know, there are some other qualities, people who are willing to, um, understand that change kind of enduring change happens from within you know like we tend to think about the things that are around us um but you know we really do have to sort of start with with inside too you know changing a little bit of our mindset and and uh attitude and and just being ready to make to make some change but by far engaging in the process <laughs> is what leads to success so you work at the leaf clinic in ottawa and I want to ask you a few questions about that. Specifically, how does someone figure out whether seeking out a clinic with medical support is the right thing for them? Is there things we need to have tried and not been successful with? How does someone assess uh, whether that's the right place for them to go? It's a really good question because I think when we first started, when I first started working in this area, I would have said that it is somebody who's tried other things and who um, needs a new approach, needs something different, or needs to add on to those other tools that they've already built um, and maybe add some stronger tools. But I do think we think about it differently now. And really, um, prevention and treatment are important in chronic health conditions. So if you feel you need some help, if you feel you could strengthen um, your skills and strategies, and there's any degree, you know, if there's some degree of risk of, um, you know, obesity for you, we're happy to help. We're happy to provide you um, with some um, help and support. Now, having said that, at our particular clinic, this is this is a condition that you know more and more people are saying I could use help with this, and more and more people are struggling, um, given the circumstances that we have all experienced over the last uh, couple of years. It's been really difficult for the condition of of obesity. So, um, you know, we are experiencing higher referrals and higher volumes that uh, we are trying to to help. So, I definitely think that if if you are um, needing some new tools, if you are wanting to take a different approach, if what you have done in the past um, just isn't working for you anymore, then uh, come and let's see, let's explore what other things we can do. What what can we add to your toolkit? So I ask this of every person we've spoken with lately, what is the number one thing you wish people knew about weight loss? It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's nothing you did wrong. Um, and, uh, and it can be managed. It, you can change. There is hope. Um, and you don't have to do it alone. You, you know, you can ask, you can ask for some help. Danielle, thank you so much for joining us tonight. This has been such a wonderful conversation as always. Excellent. Thank you. Good night.